Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be following up on the election fraud scandal on Skid Row, discussing Mayor Eric Garcetti's presidential ambitions, updating a bit on the sheriff's race, talking about Rochelle Huizar dropping her bid for city council, something about Mitchell Farrell's private email account that he didn't want you to know about, and a pretty serious scandal at the for the head of the California Democratic Party. It's been a heck of a couple of weeks since we last did this. How's it going, Bushido? It's going all right. It's been a long week. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing quite well. It's uh, The weather is getting real nice here with the cooling effect. Uh, we don't have that choking smog from the fires anymore. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's finally cleared out there. It looks like it's cooling down a little bit. We got a little bit of rain. Like, yeah. that's all really nice. Uh, there are some still, like, reports coming out on Santa Susana, which you might remember from the podcast, is the uh, very toxic and radioactive site where the Woolsey fire started. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's still some debate between the Department of Toxic Control Substances and Physicians for Social Responsibility as to whether or not any of those chemicals ended up in the air and the smoke and the ash that like blanketed LA. Uh, We'll keep you up to date on that, but uh, we're at least getting those fires contained. The campfire is out. The Woolsey fire is fully contained now, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, at least, you know, fire season for the, the moment is over until the next one starts. Yeah, I mean, that's it, that's a very precarious position to be making a claim about right now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's good that things are finally calming down, at least in regard to the fire here. However, things are heating up, no pun intended, when it comes to the local political scene. Oh, yeah. Before we uh, hop into L.A. proper, though, I wanted to talk. Real quick about uh, California's Congressional District 21, which looks like it's been the latest district (laughs) to flip from a Republican to a Democrat. It's up in King County. Uh, Democrat T.J. Cox looks like he has taken the lead over David Villato. Uh, Villato was the favorite. The AP even called the race for him the night of because he was up by eight points. Late ballots and absentee ballots made up an eight-point deficit, which is kind of amazing. That is insane. (laughs) Yeah. At this point, they have... 1,500 or so ballots left to count, Uh, and if things keep trending the way that they are, it looks like T.J. Cox will maintain his lead with a margin of 140 votes. That is incredible. Yeah, 140 votes out of over 110,000 or so cast. So uh, remember, the entire (laughs) OC is blue now. There is no longer an elected Republican uh, House of Representatives member in the entire OC, which is nuts. That is absolutely nuts, and this is also a very good time to remind everyone that When people tell you that your vote doesn't matter, that's not really true. Your vote does matter. Don't listen to what those guys over at Freakonomics try to tell you about how (laughs) you don't need to bother voting because it doesn't really matter if you do or not. It does. Yeah, everyone else will just make your decision for you. That's that's how democracy works. (laughs) That's exactly how it works. But all right, so let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, hit the local news here in L.A. Uh, We've got some musk goings on, so let's let's talk about that a little bit real quick uh, because we don't have that in the body (laughs) proper. Uh, But so Elon Musk has officially canceled his Sepulveda tunnel. He has, yes. uh, The group that was suing him regarding the decision from Los Angeles City planning to try to create an exemption for CEQA. Yeah, and Uh, and they were going to expedite it along. Yeah, they were were basically going to exempt the tunnels from CEQA investigations or reporting or anything else. Uh, This group sued the city to block them from doing that. And uh, Musk and the Boring Company have reached an amicable settlement, according ah. to the uh, LA Times, uh, with this well, that's, group. That, that's what the group said. The group called it an amicable <laughs> settlement. Uh, the Boring Company did not release a statement as to their feelings on it. Fair point, fair point. So, uh, yeah, that tunnel is dead. Uh, now Elon is focusing 
purely on building a tunnel between a metro station somewhere in K-Town and Dodger Stadium because it will be extremely useful to do so. And they do have the Hawthorne Tunnel that is uh, open and operational and they're going to open it up to the public so for free you can ride for a quarter <laughs> mile or something ridiculous like that. Elon Musk's wild ride. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. Again, like <laughs> this straight tunnel. <laughs> this touches on something that we've we've talked about a few times before, but the Boring Company has bought up a lot of land here in LA and nobody really noticed and now they're trying to build a lot of stuff on it. Uh, I'm happy to see some pushback from the communities, but clearly like city council wants wants to see these projects go forward. It'd be really interesting to see some uh, reporting about how much land they've bought up and where it's all located. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of it's around metro stops and other like unused areas. It's, yeah. it's kind of weird. And it's also all over LA. There was a map that Curbed put out um, when the LA, like the Dodger Stadium Express or whatever they're uh-huh. calling it, or the Dodger Stadium Tunnel was announced, uh, showing where in the city proper. But they've also bought up a lot of unincorporated land. Like They've been going on a buying spree because they have a lot of money to burn. So. I'm, I don't think this is the last we're going to hear from Elon Musk and his, like, tunnels. Uh, I am skeptical of his plans to build a volcano, like, secret <laughs> lair, and I'm hoping the city council pushes back on that a little bit, but we'll, we'll have to see. Well, we'll see how strong city council is following uh, recent scandals that are coming apart. So, Yeah, let's let's dive into these. So uh, we're touching on Skid Row first. First, first let's touch back on Skid Row. So we, we, we talked about this um, a while back when the allegations first came out and the arrests first happened. Uh, so recently, things have been happening in this case. This is talking about uh, allegations of election fraud where people who live on Skid Row or near Skid Row were being bribed with uh, dollar bills or single cigarettes to basically sign petitions uh, or file false voter registration forms, forged signatures, uh, all sorts of election misdeeds. Um, And since, since we talked about this issue, the charges involved in this have been made public. They include circulating a petition with fake names, voter fraud, and registering a fictitious person. All of those things that we were just talking about. Um, so basically this is all connected with the fact that here in California, citizens and organizations can get initiatives onto the ballot if we collect enough signatures, but relying entirely on volunteers to collect those signatures is nearly impossible to do. So a market has grown up around this process and they typically pay out somewhere between one or $2 per signature, uh, that are collected by these workers. Uh, but this last election cycle, there was such a high demand for signatures that some places were seeing, like some workers were getting as much as $6 per signature. Yeah. So up, up in Mountain View, there was a, uh, ordinance. They tried to get on the ballot to repeal rent control uh-huh. there, and they were paying as much as $40 a signature because oh, they just oh. really wanted them. Wow. So yeah, it's pretty easy to understand where like this idea of, oh, hey, let's go out and bribe a homeless person to sign up uh, for a dollar. You can see where that would come from. But um, paying anyone to sign a, a petition is absolutely illegal. So as as things uh, currently stand, the people who've been charged in this in this scheme, there, there are nine people who have been charged. Uh, they're facing maximum sentences between four and seven years in prison if they're convicted. Um, what is good to note is that none of the nine people who have been charged are homeless people, though at least two of the people who were initially arrested were either homeless or living in uh, single resident occupancy housing on or near Skid Row. Yeah, and this pops up like every couple of elections. Uh, the police arrest someone. Generally, like Skid Row is a, a target, not just because there's a lot of enforcement down there, but because there's a lot of people who can be exploited to like do this kind of stuff. Uh, interestingly, the folks that were arrested on this one were trying to get SB 10 repealed, which does a with cash bail, but also does a lot of other bad stuff. 
Uh, so there's it's it's kind of interesting. It's probably not connected to the folks who are actually pushing the petition because they don't have a lot of say over who gets hired to get the signatures. It's just kind of a quirk that like that happens to be the bill that they're trying to repeal. Yeah, uh, it's it's this is a, a nasty side of the elections process here in California, but unfortunately, it's. Uh, one of those evils that we kind of have to put up with in order to be able to have the people-driven democracy that we do have in this state. Yeah, so um, it's it, we'll keep you updated on this one as it comes. But again, this isn't like some huge conspiracy. It's more something we see from like the dysfunction of our democracy. Absolutely. Here in the state. Uh, speaking of the dysfunction of our democracy, <laughs> uh, Eric Garcetti, uh, you know, still still pretending he's not running for president, uh, has uh, released. Well, it's not even him, right? No. Like it's it's a group of people who are trying one, to. It was one of his boosters. Yeah, but they're like trying to push Eric Garcetti to run. Yeah. Nod, nod, wink, wink, as though he hasn't made that decision. <laughs> they want to make it seem like he got drafted to do this. Uh, but he mentions in this like music video that came out with his announcement that he wants to save our fragile and sometimes malfunctioning democracy, something, some very yeah. like silly pablum like that. So let's talk about uh, the latest shot across the bow in his POTUS run. Yeah, so uh, as, as you're alluding to, now that the 2018 elections are finally behind us after everything that we've been through, we're already diving straight into 2020. Uh, so on Monday last week, a longtime ally of the mayor sent out a ready for, for Garcetti email blast to around 150 potential supporters and donors, urging them to get on board a campaign to push Garcetti to run for the presidency in 2020. The, even, the email even reached Rolling Stone, who ran a fairly extensive story about it, going so far as to include the full text of the email in the article, doing exactly what the person who sent it out really, really, really hoped would happen. And the, the person who sent it out, she used to be an aide to Jim Hahn, uh, yes. which I found kind of interesting. It's more political dynasty building here in L.A., the same names popping up over and over and over again, like Funny Janice Hahn. Uh, she's on the County Board of yep. Supervisors, and her dad was mayor of L.A., and uh, they also have a park named after their family, which is all fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> uh, with Garcetti's thing, this one is really weird because it came with a music video, like we said, and oh, it's yeah. not a particularly good music video uh it's a weird they call it an urban beat track uh which starts with about 30 seconds of like snippets from garcetti speeches which aren't super inspiring they're all kind of very weak sauce they're not like the best like my video editing instincts would not be to go with those as the selects no and then doing jump cuts that are timed to the beat of the music um between random seeming stock images of garcetti at a public events. Oh, I'm, it's a I'm very bizarre choice. I'm pretty sure that they algorithmically edited that. Like, you can get programs where you just draw, drop a bunch of images in, and it sort of, like, measures them and tries to figure out what the focal point is, and then, like, we'll just put them together based on the beat, because it's easy to count beats for a program, yeah. and then just slap random images. So, I don't think anyone actually did this. I think they used, like, a $20 program from the internet to Wonderful. just auto-make this that, video. I mean, this is giving me in huge amounts of confidence in uh, our absentee mayor's future bids for political power. Yeah, I was going to say, if he's putting this much effort into his you know, presidential run, just imagine how little effort he'll put into actually being president. I mean, if it's anything like what he's done with the mayor, then... Um yeah, we're in for some good times. Yeah, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting because he also just lost an ally of his. Uh, he endorsed Sheriff Jim McDonald for re-election uh, on another race. And this is another race that like flipped late because people it thought did. McDonald had it. Yep. Uh, but it looks like Villanueva is finally going to walk away with this one. Yeah, so McDonald finally conceded as Villanueva's lead has been continuing to grow with each update that they put out of the vote tally. Uh, so he did finally concede. And now... 
Uh, following that announcement, Villanueva actually gave his first sit-down interview uh, as sheriff-elect to L.A. Taco. And uh, you guys should definitely go check out that interview over there because it's quite good. Um, in the interview, Villanueva promised that he was going to be implementing a lot of changes that have really been sought for a long time by watchdogs and critics of the department, including a very long overdue implementation of a body camera program for patrol deputies. Uh, it's bizarre to think that the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is one of the largest law enforcement organizations in the country that does not have a mandatory body camera program for all of its deputies. Well, like LAPD, after the Rodney King incident and uh, other abuses of power, specifically the the Rampart scandals in the 90s, uh, got put under a federal defense sorry, federal consent decree Mm -hmm. had to put cameras in their cars, or at least we're negotiating that with the feds. The LA County Sheriff's Office has been under other federal consent decrees, but for stuff like sexual harassment. Uh, They haven't been under a federal consent decree for like use of force on the job, even Mm -hmm. though they're just as violent as like LAPD. So they escape a lot of scrutiny. Plus like so much of what those deputies do is shielded from public sight because it happens in a jail of their 3,000 uh, deputy workforce, I think 1,500 of them work in jails. Wow. I did not realize it was that large of a number that is... Uh, yeah, their their budget is $3 billion a year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fun reminders. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it, it, definitely with McDonald and Villanueva here, like that 120,000 vote difference was kind of a lot more than I think anyone was expecting. Yeah, so uh, one thing that's also worth noting here is that Villanueva is really promising that his administration is going to be dramatically more transparent than what McDonald's was. Uh, He's promising to release many documents that the Civilian Oversight Commission has been calling for for quite some time. Um, Also in regard to a lawsuit that was brought by the Los Angeles Times against the Sheriff's Department for alleged violations of the California Public Records Act, Villanueva responded to the LA Taco question saying, quote, I think the press has a right to know and acting on behalf of the public and disseminating information to the public. That's part of transparency. We have nothing to hide. It's the public's information. It doesn't belong to the department. It belongs to the taxpayers. Now, this kind of raises some more interesting questions about how Villanueva is going to fulfill some of his campaign promises, specifically in regards to the uh, Civilian Review, sorry, Civilian Review Oversight Commission and also ICE, because like he's had some pushback back and forth and kind of flip-flopped as to whether or not he's going to be friendlier to the Oversight Commission or not. And this seems to say that he's going to be more open with them, but I'm not sure if I'm understanding that correctly. Well, so he's actually saying that um, he actually comments later on in the interview talking about this uh, ballot initiative that uh, gathered something like 240,000 signatures uh, that were turned over to elections officials uh, earlier this year and was decided to be put up on the ballot in 2020. This is the uh, reform LA jails. Exactly. Yeah. So that that uh, initiative would really be granting subpoena authority along with a bunch of other powers to the Civilian Oversight Commission. Um, and it, he's basically, the Villanueva came out and said that that entire ballot initiative and that process was really a moot point now because he's going to be a good guy and he's going to cooperate and he's going to provide that transparency. And we've we've seen how that can really backfire on activists and on people who are, you know, skeptical of the of the, uh, shall we say, goodwill of the of the figures in authority, because without the authority to properly do the job, the commission would be entirely reliant on the willingness 
of the sheriff to cooperate. And we've seen that being entirely reliant upon who it is that's in charge is really determining what kind of access they're going to have to this information. And we, we haven't even seen that Villanueva is actually going to provide it. He's simply stating that he yeah. will. So even though things seem kind of more rosy at this point and there's a new sheriff in town who's promising to be super chummy with the press and the watchdogs, we need to make sure that any future scandal or tough position that Villanueva finds himself in won't make him change his tune and become as opaque as McDonald has been. We we need to have these things be enshrined in law. We can't just rely on the, you know, legacies of our institutions to just keep working because, you know, that's just how things have been done. We've and, seen what happens with that. Yeah. And even with uh, the new powers that would be granted under the reform LA jails petition or, you know, like plans to kind of strengthen the oversight review commission, uh, they still don't have prosecutorial power. Like even when the LAPD oversight board said, hey, prosecute this cop who murdered someone on Venice Beach, Jackie Lacey still didn't prosecute that cop. Like, in order for their findings and their rulings and, like, their disciplinary action to actually have teeth, we need other parts of the bureaucracy to move also. Like, Jackie Lacey actually has to prosecute cops, something she seems allergic to? I don't know. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt on that one. But, you know, it, it's one where the, the review and the oversight commissions that we have here are necessarily toothless in a, in, to a certain extent. And we do have to be trusting the police and we have to be trusting the commissions because we have people like Steve Soberoff on the LAPD commission. He's a huge investor in private prisons. Uh, you know, there's a lot of conflicts of interest. So there's a lot of like community activism and organizing that has to be done to help to hold those boards and civilian commissions accountable. And also, it's really hard to get on there. They, they you know, kind of filter for people who are going to be pro-cop. So this has to be a multi-pronged push. It seems like Villanueva might be um, more... Uh, amenable to like listening to community pressure, but I guess we'll have to see. Like he he hasn't fully taken office yet, and no. that can really change someone. So he he does have uh, one more week left before he will be in office, which is uh, kind of shocking to me. I had not realized that he would be assuming power quite so quickly. Yeah. Um, I'm used to thinking about things on the federal time scale where that doesn't the people don't assume office until January in most yeah. cases. So the uh, he'll be coming into office and and go, touching back on what you had mentioned earlier about. Ice, the story really seemed that he he was flip-flopping on that one because he had previously said that he was going to be getting ice out of the courts and the jails, but then he also hedged on that and said that he was not going to be uh, willing to let anyone who is like a violent offender who could be deported get away with not being deported. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like, you know, he won't turn them over inside jails. He'll just walk them out to the public sidewalk and then turn them over to ICE. Yeah. So it, it's kind of gone back and forth. Um, and he kind of falls back on the same lines of, oh, some of these people are dangerous. It's like, there's some really dangerous Americans. Like, we just had a yeah. dude shoot up a synagogue. Um, you know. Priorities. Yeah. So uh, that one's going to, like, he's we're going to be yelling at him for a bit, I think, oh, yeah. is the, the end story there. I mean, he's, he's, he's the sheriff. This is yeah. what happens. He's got, a, he's got the office for a few years, and we're definitely going to make sure uh, that he doesn't uh, get to slip back into McDonald's place without, like, feeling some wrath from the community. Uh, plus 2020 uh, reform LA jails petition is going to be a big one, and we can maybe elect a new DA. We'll, we'll have to see about that, that one. That would be fantastic. Uh, speaking of new people that we have to elect, <laughs> let's move to uh, our favorite scandal plague city council district, uh, Council District 14, yeah. uh, currently represented by Mr. Jose Huizar. Uh What's going on there? Well, currently and for who knows how much longer, 
Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got to say, before we get into the story, apparently he showed up at City Hall uh, last Thursday and nobody could figure out what the hell he was doing there. Uh, and he ran away from the press and hid in a back room. And so the press like waited for him in the hallway and then they got LAPD to clear the hallway of press and he came back out and like participated in the meeting. And then when the press came back, he ran away, finally came out and talked to people. And his answer was basically like, I'm still going to keep on keeping on. And this isn't going to keep me like this isn't going to deter me. And it's like. If your whole thing is like getting rich by taking payments from developers, then the FBI investigation into you taking payments from developers actually might stop you. Like maybe maybe this isn't as hunky-dory as you want to pretend. Yeah, so uh, following those FBI raids on the family home and on her husband's office, Rochelle Huizar has announced this past Tuesday that she... Uh, will be ending her campaign to replace her soon-to-be-termed-out husband on the Los Angeles City Council. Uh, So I did the math. Her bid for City Council officially lasted just nine weeks, though the planning for the run has been taking place for a very long time, especially if you uh, go back and read some of the allegations in those lawsuits that were brought against her husband, because there are some pretty pretty bold claims in there that he was dictating that people who work for him on the city's dime in city offices spend their time working on his wife's campaign. I think here's the thing. So of all of these abuse allegations, (laughs) like I thought, I thought him sending staffers to his home in Boyle Heights to let his dog out to poop was my favorite, like abuse of power (laughs) allegation, but I've learned of another one. Oh, so apparently uh, when he would send a staffer to get him like oh, a hot oh, tea, I know he and the tea would come back not hot enough for him. He would just say tea <laughs> repeatedly, tea, 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 just like for minutes on end <laughs> until somebody brought him like fresh tea or like distracted him with some jangly keys. I don't like these are this is the same kind of tactics that like my very young nephew uses. You know, my nephew who is like in toddler age is like that's. <laughs> That's his tactic when he doesn't get what he wants. So to see Jose Weizar doing that just kind of fills me with a, a, a hope that we still have childlike innocence in our government. That's a very bizarre take from that, but good, good for you. I'm trying to put a good spin on it because it's otherwise one of the 15 most powerful people in L.A. is a drunk, a philanderer, and has no impulse control and has literally been a toxic sociopath who's been reelected twice. Yeah. Um. And I don't want to consider that. I, I, you know, that seems terrible. It is terrible. Yeah. That's the reality we live in. Did you also remember that he apparently had a, uh, a fender, well, not a fender, but he rear-ended somebody. Yeah, drunk driving. And the city council had to pay out $185,000 settlement? Yeah. No, it's something insane like that. It's, I mean, plus <sighs> like his own, whatever his own insurance paid out and just, yeah, he, I, I was talking to some organizers and they were telling me about how they were at, um, some event and Weezar rolled up just drunk as a skunk and like started like high-fiving them and like came behind and stood with them at the table while they're at this event tabling and it was just a drunk Jose Weezar just like three sheets to the wind and having a great time and they're like I hope somebody's taking pictures of this because this was before all this stuff happened I want to say it's like 2015 2016 when this story happened um and it was just one of those things where it's like He's been doing this stuff for a while and nobody's like caught on to it until now. And I honestly 
feel like this is partly the Trump effect where people are paying attention to local politics now, but it also just speaks to like how large and uh, unaccountable city council is that like Jose Weizar could get away with this stuff forever. It's insane. Well, for what it's worth, he has been stripped of all of his committee positions following the raid, but he was back at work this past week. Uh, he refused to answer any questions from the reporters, though, stating simply that he had shown up to do the job he was elected to do. Uh, all right. Well, Jose, uh, well, I'm still not sure where to make book on whether he makes it to 2020 <laughs> or not, because like technically he could probably stay in that seat. Like the ability for city council to remove someone under indictment or who's been convicted, I think, is a little bit hard. Like the yeah. process takes a while. The, it sounds like he's being pressured to like step down, but we'll, we're just going to have to wait and see. We've already got one special election coming up in CD12. Uh, I would put pretty good money on we're going to have another one. But then again, maybe Weezar is like a de Blasio, or not a de Blasio, a Blagojevich type, who despite <laughs> all evidence of his corruption is going to fight tooth and nail I until he goes down. keep this job. <laughs> so, but this also, like, Weezar isn't unique. And we found out some really fun stuff today about uh, Mitch O'Farrell. This was uh, reported by Michael Kohlhaas, uh, who's a new like LA blogger on the scene. I haven't heard of them before this. Oh no, Michael Kohlhaas has been doing like downtown LA. They they mainly have been involved with like the Skid Row neighborhood council scandal. Uh, oh. Their their main target is the bids in downtown because the bids in downtown are basically like miniature policing forces that are private security hired by the local businesses. BID BID stands for Business Improvement District, and there are a number of them throughout Los Angeles, but some of the most powerful ones are in downtown LA, and they are renowned for being the folks that run around and do a lot of the cleaning around downtown and doing a lot of the emptying of trash cans. Um, A bunch of the trash cans are actually owned by the bids, but they also do a lot of the policing of our homeless population in downtown, and they're the ones showing up on their little bikes or their little... Uh, not not the segways, but like the three wheel. Yeah, they have like things. the the safety segways. Yeah, that can't fall over. Which no, <laughs> not even gonna get they look, started. They there. look kind of like it's a segway chariot thing. It's, yeah, it's interesting. No, we're we're gonna be doing some real deep dives into the bids, uh, especially in the next year, because they're they're pretty ridiculous. Um, but let's uh let's focus this one in on. Uh, Mitch O'Farrell yeah. and why Michael Kohlhaas is giving Mitch O'Farrell the business. Well, as uh, Michael Kohlhaas described in that blog, and I'm not sure that that's the actual name of the writer, but that is the pen name that they choose to use and the website domain that they've uh, selected for themselves. But as they point out, in addition to Hillary and Ivanka, it turns out that our own city councilman, Mitch O'Farrell, here in CD13, where Ground Game is located, uses his own private Gmail account, Mitch of 13, or Mitch O'Farrell 13. It seems like there's some kind of a play there going on. You know, uh, actually, that's not that's not too bad for wordplay. I'm not yeah. going to lie. That's actually a pretty, that's a that's a pretty good uh, display name. It's not bad. There. It's a pretty not good bad. handle, yeah. So, Mitch of 13 at gmail.com. Go ahead and email him if you want. To conduct official city business in what appears to be a pretty blatant attempt to skirt the rules of the California Public Records Act. Uh, But thanks to the California Supreme Court opinion in the city of San Jose versus Superior Court, which was uh, released back in March of 2017, the emails and text messages of public officials are all subject to the CPRA, even if they are held in private accounts. Yeah. And which makes sense. Like you don't want to give an elected official like a super easy out 
with that one. Like oh, for it, sure. That, that, you know, before this ruling, it was really easy for elected officials to make a big end run around the Brown Act and the California Public Records Act, which kind of replaces FOIA here, not yeah. completely, but it, it supplements. And, you know, in California, if you're looking for state records and local records, your California Public Records Act, CPRA, is what you're doing, not the Freedom of Information Act, FOIA, which is, is federal. And people kind of mix those two up. So, yeah. But we're we're dealing with CPRA requests here from mm-hmm. the Sunshine Coalition to Mitch O'Farrell is what got this story started. Yeah, right? so they sent out an, a request to his office for, quote, copies of all emails to and from your account at mitchof13 at gmail.com from July 1st, 2013 onward to the present day. The response that came back from Mitch's office was pretty boilerplate and refused to comply with the request on the grounds that it was overly broad. And this is something that we see time and time again in response to CPRA requests. Uh, Quote, satisfying your current request would require us to review an enormous volume of emails, cull many, if not most, of the emails. They've got some interesting placement of some commas in here, by the way, because they are personal and not related to city business. Review the still large volume of remaining emails for exemptions and then make any redactions as appropriate. So bad grammar aside. Yeah, run on sentence. Oh, my God. But this is exactly the reason why you're supposed to be conducting your city business in a city account. Yeah. If you don't want to have to go through and cull your private email messages from your official city business messages, use a separate account. Don't conduct city business in a private account. That's exactly why we have city accounts for this. Yeah, and it's also one where, like, the response that we... Like, you can't see these emails, even though they may be germane. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it goes back to the 2016 election and kind of the the responses we heard from, like, Hillary Clinton. Wherever you fall on the line of criminality or not, we as the public have a right to these communications. Mm -hmm. Um, And seeing politicians at every level just kind of ignore that when, like... I've worked with interns who can handle two email accounts. Like if you were the secretary of state or like a city council member for a large city, you can definitely like tab over in Gmail. You can have two different Gmails open (laughs) and like get around this whole problem. Like email one is your personal one. So you talk about your dog's birthday to email two is the one that you use for city business and is like on file with the city and available to like your constituents. Um, But again, I'm making that mistake where I assume that like people in power are actually there to serve democracy. Yeah, that does seem to be a common and easy mistake to make. Um, but this this also might be kind of interesting coming up because with the street vendor legislation yes. that the city council is passing, Mitch has taken a big interest in this. He had the bulky item removal here on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which mm-hmm. is a couple miles from our office. Uh, he's also trying to pass some exemptions for uh, popular tourist spots so you can't have street vendors there, which is like a hugely lucrative market. Absolutely. And so by using his private email account and not having any of this information be easily available for public records requests. Uh, it's We don't know who it is that he's meeting with, when he's meeting with them, how many donations he's getting from these business owners and these developers, and they potentially could just be writing the rules that they want to see implemented uh, for street vendors. And that's just not the way that democracy should work. Yeah, and especially for something like street vending that's as culturally appropriate for L.A. or culturally important for L.A., uh, we're having a lot of big businesses try and box people out. And for a lot of street vendors, you know, this, I, I don't want to call it survival work, but this is 
necessary money that they need to be earning. Like this is cash in hand. This is a fairly like low investment for them to, to, to like get into. And it's also a pretty necessary service. Like if you're stumbling out of like Los Globos at two in the morning, <laughs> you really need a hot dog and it needs to be wrapped in bacon. Uh, or you need corn and it needs to be slow roasted with some lovely cojita cheese on there. Yeah. I don't see them out too much at night though. The no. Eloteros. Yeah. They're more of a daytime thing. And then yeah, it, it, but, it switches oh, to the hot so dogs. Good. It's so good. All right, let's uh, let's go to the probably the most like upsetting story that we're going to cover tonight. So, California Democratic Party has uh, thrown itself into conflict once again um, with with friends like these. Who needs enemies? Uh, let's talk about Eric Bauman, the now uh, suspended head of the California Democratic Party. Not not suspended. Per, well, uh, taking a leave of absence, I believe is purely the, vol- volitional. Uh, <laughs> Voluntarily, purely, yeah, <laughs> purely vo- volitional is what I'm trying to say. But yeah, he he totally did that without any pressure, right? Yeah, no. So the chair of the California Democratic Party has taken a leave of absence following calls to resign his position amid allegations of sexual harassment and assault. Uh, while Bauman is on leave, Alexandra Gallardo Rooker, the first vice chair of the party, will be handling the day-to-day operations of the party. Uh, and Bushido, I understand that Rooker has a few skeletons in her closet? Yeah, well, Alexandra Rooker is an interesting figure here in California politics. She's been around for a very long while. She's uh, got a storied history in the California labor movement. Uh, she was... Uh, I, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to Google this, but uh, I believe director for the uh, Communications Workers of America, uh, Local 9400 here in, in Los Angeles, here in California. Uh, they're a pretty progressive union. They work very closely with the California Democratic Party. However, during the last election, during the midterms, uh, Rooker came under scrutiny because she accepted about $30,000 from the No On 8 campaign, the dialysis industry. Uh, That's, Yeah. She also didn't disclose it. <laughs> oh, no. So she was lobbying caucuses within the party to say, you know, vote no on eight. Uh, even though the entire California Democratic Party did endorse yes on eight, she was kind of doing, you know, lower level lobbying, trying to get smaller groups within the party to come out against it. And that's how caucus politics works in large parties. Not everyone is always on the same page on every plank of the platform. Uh, but the the Intercept had some really good reporting on that and how that may violate bylaws for the California Democratic Party, something that they're fairly familiar with after uh, the last round of elections uh, when they boxed out Bernie Kratz and there mm-hmm. was a lot of talk about dirty play and dirty politics in their voting process and violating their own bylaws and just a lot of shenanigans. It's kind of weird that like after Bauman steps aside for a minute while his name either gets cleared or not, the next person in line is scandal plagued in a completely different way. Like there's no allegations that she's sexually harassed anyone or assaulted anyone. Uh, She's just playing fast and loose with the money and how she sells her time. It's kind of like the head of the NAACP when she signed on with the no on 10 (laughs) campaign, despite the wishes of their members. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Alexander Brooker does, especially because it's a rebuilding year. Like we've got two years before the next election. Mm -hmm. So the Democrats have some time to get their house in order, but like DSALA and uh, the Green Party and basically every other small liberal and progressive party out there is going to be gumming, gunning for their membership. And it's kind of hard for me to explain to somebody like, no, stick with the Democrats. They seem like they're so good at not doing the crimes. Yeah. Well, so in uh, continuing on with what's going to be happening in more uh 
detail yeah. uh, for for the the chair position. Yeah, and, and do we have any before we get into that, do we have any specifics on what the allegations are? Um, I know there are, there are a few people who have come out and accused Mr. Bauman. Most of them are being given uh, some confidentiality, um, which is is good, but. Um, how serious are the allegations? So the, the allegations are very serious. It basically revolves, from what I understand, and there has not been very much information released about this, but it's at party. The allegations is, are that at party-sanctioned events, uh, Bauman engaged in harassment and or assault of people uh, within the party or other people who were attending these events, uh, and that this has happened systematically over a number of years, and has it, it took a lot of uh, a lot of courage for the people to come forward and, and make these allegations. Um, but we we need to you know see what happens with the investigation. The 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 specifics as to what happened, uh, it, it, they haven't come out. But it's you can imagine that if people are drunk and they're at a fundraising party. Who knows? All right. So what is the process going to look like from here for the California uh, Democratic Party? Well, so what happened was that last week, Dark Larimore Hall, who is the state's party's uh, third in command, initiated a process to remove Bauman as the party chair last week. Uh, so he released a letter over the weekend that was calling for Bauman's resignation. Uh, in the letter, uh, Larimore Hall s- said that, quote, in the days since the first brave souls have come forward, they have been joined by others with similar stories and experiences, end quote. He also said that the allegations are, quote, credible, corroborated, and utterly heartbreaking, end quote. The letter did not contain many details of the alleged abuse in an effort to protect the privacy of the victim. Uh, so it's worth noting that any vote to replace Bauman would happen at a party convention in either May or November. Uh, the party's executive board will have a vote on the removal request that was initiated by Laramore Hall, but their meeting won't happen for that uh, for handling that until this coming summer. So we're a long way out from a resolution on this unless he steps down. Uh, so if the board votes to remove him, then the election to replace him would be at a second convention in November uh, of 2019. If he steps down before May, we could actually see the party choosing a new chair as early as May. Would that be at an open vote or like appointed by the board or how would that work? Uh, I believe that it would be a, a convention of, uh, I think it's the ADEMS. Mm-hmm. So it's the uh, the position that uh, nobody really knows about. It's these 14 individuals, seven men and seven women who are elected from each of the uh, state's assembly districts. Um, so there, there are what, it's 80 districts throughout the state uh, and each of those has 14 members. So they make up one third of the total delegates that go to these conventions and have a vote. Uh, the other two thirds of the delegates are appointed by the folks in power. So your state assembly member or your state senator who are Democrats are allowed to appoint a certain number of delegates themselves. And then there are also uh, another, I think it's the third of them that are uh, people who are actually uh, functionaries within the party or are employed by the party or are former uh, leaders within the party. Any kind of, it's kind of like the super delegates for that, for that last third, I believe. Um, so those are the people who get to decide who the leadership is. They also get to decide like the, the party's platforms, the party's bylaws and changes to the rules. So it's, uh, 
this there's there's a lot of process involved and so we really won't be seeing any kind of a resolution for this for quite some time it looks like but it also seems like this is going to be a pretty hot button issue for the democratic party they you know they did well in the congressional elections um they probably could have done better overall like in the state uh but at the same time with renewed vigor on trying to beat trump on a national level like california uh, is seen by a lot of uh, politicians as just a, a uh, money bag. Like you come here as a Democrat, you get money, and then you go back to wherever and you don't really have to think about California again. Uh, California is trying to change that. We moved up the primary. The state de- Democratic Party is trying to be like, hey, you know, we're like a lock for voting left, but like maybe we're going to try and push you even more left. There's a lot of things up in the air after these last couple of elections. Oh, yeah. So this is like a really critical part for the uh, Democratic Party, Absolutely. especially in California. Absolutely. And then the uh, it's worth pointing out again that the state assembly is now going to be 75% Democrats. Yeah. They have That's, a supermajority in both houses. They have a supermajority in both houses, and they have a very big supermajority in the state assembly. Like, wow, the Republican Party is just not doing well here in California. Yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting, especially uh, to see what happens with the the new uh, very Democratic congressional uh, delegation that we'll be sending to Washington. Hopefully we can get some more traction on like renewables and stuff like that um, as the Sunrise Movement pushes the Green New Deal. And we're seeing like more California Democrats come out in favor of that. And with the Assembly's uh, new mandate that California has to be off of fossil fuels by 2045 we're gonna need to see like a lot of changes here so i'm kind of excited and i'm also kind of like please don't screw this up democratic party like please (laughs) please don't pull a hillary exactly so uh as always if you guys have events that you want us to publicize take part in or generally be made aware of please visit our webpage at www.ggla.info or visit our facebook page and send us a message 